Hello, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan, just a fly in the ointment, Hans, the monkey in the wrench, the pain in the ass. <laughs> They'll get it! <laughs> I just feel like I have to fucking defend these. Today we'll be discussing Husband Material by Alexis Hall. Four weddings, one funeral, but no Andy McDowell in this romantic comedy. Instead, we are reacquainted with Luke and Oliver. They fell in love with each other in boyfriend material, and now, two years later, they are still in love, watching those around them do the next socially expected thing, aka get married. As Luke and Oliver work out what they want in their ceremony and struggle to compromise, they learn whether they are forever level compatible. There will be spoilers beyond this point, and... We have a content warning for homophobia and abusive asshole parents. <laughs> you added asshole. <laughs> I had to. I am not saying it's not warranted. <laughs> Accurate? Yes. Yes. Very. Well, how about you hit me with a recap? So what happened in Boyfriend Material, the... The must know the needs of fuck me when words. I thought after actually getting good sleep, this would be easier, but it's not. Words are hard. Anyway, so yeah, the recap. Your turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awkward that transition. Was, Here we go. That was quite the train wreck. <laughs> yeah. I thought about salvaging and I'm like, eh, fuck it. Well, if you're really interested in learning everything there is to know that happened to Boyfriend Material, obviously read the book. Next best thing would be to listen to our prior podcast about Boyfriend Material. But basically, Luke is the son of two rock star parents. So he's kind of tangentially famous. And he's working at a... (laughs) Is it like a... A charity. A charity called Crap. Yes, to save the beetles. Yes, the dung beetles. They're very important. And a unfortunate photo gets exposed, almost costs him his job, and Luke needs to make his social media presence better again. And the best way to do that, he feels, is to... Find a socially acceptable boyfriend. Entre Oliver, he is a barrister. He is very socially acceptable. (laughs) The most inoffensive dude. Yeah, he's kind of like a Mr. Darcy, I feel, a little bit. I can see that. Luke and Oliver have a fake relationship, but obviously Oliver is into Luke and Luke is into Oliver, despite himself. And by the end of the book, they've decided that their feelings for each other are real and worth giving a go. Yay. And then two years pass. Yes, ma'am. And the story picks up at Bridget's bachelorette party. So Bridget is Luke's best friend forever. Oh, he has a very exciting friend group. (laughs) I love his friend group. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
they're they're very um, supportive and and fun and awkward together. But Bridget is amazing, and she's getting married to Tom, and and Luke is her maid of honor, and they're having a non gender specific, non gender conforming animal party. Well, didn't they call it like a hen party? Yeah, but they didn't in the book because I feel like they did. Oh, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Well, it is a hen party, but it's not a hen party because it's a multi-gendered, non-specific bird party, I think is what they called it. Oh, okay. That's how they roll. And instead of having just penis-related paraphernalia, they also have vulva-related paraphernalia, including a crocheted hat that Luke is wearing on his head. Yay. Supportive. Yes. (laughs) Which I really... <laughs> um <laughs> would you prefer a penis hat? No. <laughs> I just don't understand. You just prefer a hat with no genitalia on it, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Why not just a, a cone-shaped party hat? Like why? Like, well, why you can do wear a cone and other people wear genitalia. It's fine. Why does there have to be genitalia-related paraphernalia? Because it's fun and whimsical. I don't understand. But they do, and they like it. (laughs) So that's fine. That's the important thing. Luke is doing really awesome. He did a lot of self-improvement work in the prior book and over the next two years that passed in between. And while he's still filled with self-doubt and the occasional bouts of self-loathing, he is a lot better now. (laughs) He has improved. One could even say he's sort of maybe happy sometimes. Yay! And he takes his maid of honor duties very seriously. And he's been doing a kick-ass job. But there are a couple problems this night because he runs into Miles. So the beginning of the... (laughs) Sorry, had some at the begin bullshit caught in my throat. <laughs> at the beginning of the prior book, we learn that Miles is Luke's asshole ex boyfriend who sold him out for fifty thousand dollars to the tabloids. It's pounds, but yeah, yeah, pounds. Sorry, I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> I- I'm gonna get the things wrong, and I'm sorry. Forgive me, listeners in the UK, please. (laughs) Miles sold Luke out and it sent Luke into a downward spiral of self-loathing and flagellation, which he is now out of. Yay! So when he runs into him at the party, it's a big old wet slap in the face with a nasty penis, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Love that image. <laughs> I thought you would appreciate that. And Luke is not into this. <laughs> Miles acts like they are, oh, yes, we're old friends. <laughs> Guess what, Luke? I'm getting married to this guy over here named JoJo, who's the cutest little sparkly gay boy you've ever seen. And Luke is just. Poor Luke. Like WTF. <laughs> yeah, I think he's on system overload. That's what I sort of felt like was happening. 
Like, I can't. My brain isn't processing. I just can't with this. (laughs) Basically. And Jojo seems super nice. And Luke is wondering why he's with Miles. (laughs) Because Miles is a shit. Miles has a history of not being nice. And then, coincidentally, the newest single from John Fleming's latest album starts playing. John Fleming is Luke's asshole father, who we learned all about in the prior book and did not like. Yep, nope. And it's just a big ol' one-two punch (laughs) for Luke there. And so he decides to bail. He's like, okay, well, bye. Yeah, he nopes out. (laughs) And he goes walking and, like, poops out on a bench somewhere, and Oliver finds him. Oliver is still amazing. I was super happy to see Oliver again. <laughs> Dude, um, I needed a hero like Oliver <laughs> after the last couple books. I-, I feel you with that. Yeah. I really did. I was just, man, <laughs> Oliver is just A+. plus. <laughs> He's not perfect. No. He also has issues. <laughs> no, we do not require our heroes to be perfect. But he is perfect for Luke. Yes. And they're perfect for each other. Yes. And they're so cute. And I love them. Anyway, <laughs> Oliver makes Luke feel better. And they go back to the party. Yay. And things are fine. So the next day, Luke is at work at CRAPP. He has a couple of really fun co-workers. <laughs> One of them is named Reese, who is the social media person for the organization. Organization, thank you. I can't think of words. Okay, words are hard. And now Reese randomly live streams things just because he can. So we have that popping up throughout the book. It's pretty great. Luke loves it. Not really. He handled it pretty well, though. I think in the past, book one, Luke would have handled it very differently. I think this shows growth. Absolutely. And there's still Alex, good old Alex. I love Alex. <laughs> well, he's just, he's so special. <laughs> he is. I still would pay good money to know how Alex read the Harry Potter series. Like, what is the Harry Potter series through his eyes? Because <laughs> he had mentioned in the first book reading it. And I still, still would love to know what that experience was like. Honestly, I would pay money to know what anything is like (laughs) through Alex's eyes. There you go. (laughs) Because he's really special. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Luke has this tradition of telling Alex jokes, which Alex just does not get. And Luke has to explain them to him. And Alex just doesn't get them and tells Luke about how he's bad at telling jokes and it's just really funny and I love it and I think Luke loves it too and Alex seems to enjoy it. I love where there's like the chain (laughs) effect where Luke tells Alex a joke then Alex gets Reese involved and they all view the joke differently finding their amusements along the way. (laughs) I do appreciate that. I do like that. And often it turns back on to Luke, like, picking on him <laughs> in a in a nice way, yes. like a teasing way. So while Luke is at work, working, sort of, <laughs> Miles shows up uninvited and wants to speak to him and ends up inviting Luke to his wedding. 
because Jojo really wants him to come. Luke is like, fuck off. But in his head, he thinks maybe he should go. He's kind of conflicted by it. I was sitting there going, does Miles want him there? What's Miles' angle? Is it that Jojo wants him or does Miles want him there for some trap? I don't know. I don't trust the dude because, again, he sold him out. (laughs) Yeah, no, Miles is a slime. But I was kind of just in Luke's head full force because over the next few days, Luke is just obsessing over this like would it be closure would it be an opportunity for him to show off his amazing life and be like look i have an amazing boyfriend now and my life is great ha 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 Mm -hmm. you didn't beat me i am still here and would that be good for him or not and i honestly did not understand his decision to go to the wedding neither did i Why are you going to go to this wedding? And he even has a big old conversation with Oliver about it. Should he go? Oliver, you know, Oliver is perfect. Oliver is like, you should do what's best for you. Yes. And I will support you no matter what. Because I love you. (laughs) And Luke is like, but I don't know what's best for me. That's why I'm asking you. (laughs) Luke never knows what's best for him. No, Luke, (laughs) as much as he's improved... I mean, he's not a completely different person. He's still himself. No, he's still Luke. (laughs) It's just part of his problem. He's still very much Luke. (laughs) Yes. It's part of what makes him so lovable, though. (laughs) We have a few days of just life and mulling this over and whatnot. And then we learn that Luke and Oliver have a big date planned... It's something they've been planning for a long time. They're going to this fancy restaurant. They're going to go see Pretty Woman the Musical, which just sounds amazing. Yes, it is actually a thing. And Luke is super excited to go. And Oliver has been really busy at work, so they haven't had a whole lot of boyfriend time. And then he gets contacted from Bridget, who has been sent a photo of her fiance with another woman It looks like it could potentially be cheating, but maybe not. Maybe it's fine. We're not sure. So it's a thing. And Luke is faced with the conundrum. Is he a good boyfriend or is he a good best friend? And he decides that he's going to be the best friend that time instead of go on the fancy date. Which is kind of him. Yeah, I I don't know. It's... It's interesting because Luke is so worried that he's going to do something that will make Oliver break up with him. He's going to mess up somehow. It's going to be awful. Oliver is never going to forgive him. And yet he doesn't let that really stop him from making what he thinks is the right choice. But he's still obsessively worried about it. And when he breaks the news to Oliver that he's going to go console and be with Bridget, Oliver is understandably hurt, but he tries to be okay with it. And he tries to be really understanding. And I just don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. (laughs) What do you mean? I guess ultimately there's no right choice. 
right? He's going to end up screwing over somebody. And the way he rationalizes it is that Bridget has always been there for him. And so this is his chance to be there for her. Mm -hmm. He knows or he guesses that Oliver will understand, even though he'll be upset, which is Mm -hmm. true. I don't know exactly how to put it into words, but it was a big issue for me. And I don't know what decision I would make. Well, I think Luke made the right choice for what he wanted. He said what he wanted. And I think that was good for Luke. Yes. And I think it was good for Oliver to not be thrilled, but be okay. I think they both acted in character. Yeah, and it showed that their relationship was fine. Maybe it's because we're stuck in Luke's head where he just hates himself. Yeah, because, I mean, in the first (laughs) book, we saw that all through Luke's perspective. And this book is the same way. We're seeing it all from Luke. At least you can tell that Oliver isn't happy. Yes, absolutely. The author does a great job of portraying Oliver through Luke's eyes. We get a really good idea and understanding of Oliver, I think. And then later, I think something else happens where Luke has to be there for Bridget and Oliver is way more sympathetic or at least less unhappy about it. Where he's like, no, no, stay. Of course, they didn't have plans and tickets. At any rate, Luke chooses to go to Bridget's side and help her not be alone during this crisis where she is consumed with worry over whether or not her fiance is cheating. She's been trying to call him. He hasn't answered or texted or called her back. Luke calls in the troops, aka their friend group. It turns into this wild romp where they all get into Priya's truck Priya's the only one who has a vehicle. And go looking for Tom. And they manage to find him. And Bridget kind of stalks him, (laughs) sort of. But eventually they reunite and Bridget asks him what was up with the woman in the picture. And we find out it was super secret spy stuff. And well, crap, now that person's going to need to be moved so they remain safe. Were you like me and knew it was spy thing the whole time? Well, yeah, of course I did. I know. I just felt like it felt frustrating. That's the thing with this friend group is they don't they don't draw any conclusions for the friend who's having a crisis. (laughs) They just support. Yes. It happens a few times in this book where someone is having a crisis and the friend group just supports without making suppositions of their own (laughs) or if they do they keep them to themselves yes or they're very limited for example luke i think tells bridget oh it's probably fine but of course he doesn't want to say that it is fine because what if it's not fine So, so that turns out fine everyone's happy until we learn that bridget's wedding venue has burned down oops now they need to find a new venue on short notice Luke, as maid of honor, is calling around, trying to find a replacement venue, basically unable to, and he decides maybe he should call his dad, because due to the show that he was on in the last book, his dad is having a resurgence of fame, and Luke thinks, you know, what is the point of having a famous parent if you can't ask them for favors? Luke calls his mom to see if his mom has a direct number to his dad. They're divorced, but... His mom still has that. And Luke calls his dad and 
asks him if he could pull some strings and find a venue for a wedding in like two weeks. And his dad says he will. Mm-hmm. But then he never does and he never gets back to him and nothing ever comes of it. And it's just he's an yep. asshole. Fortunately, Luke's mom comes through. She's also famous, but not as famous as Luke's dad. But her BFF, Judy, has an amazing garden that is part of a large estate and says that Bridget can have the wedding there. And it turns out fine. Over all this Bridget wedding planning business, Luke and Oliver haven't been able to see each other much due to Luke's duties as maid of honor. The night before the wedding, he's planning to spend the night with Bridget and the other attendants. But Bridget sends Luke home because Luke is dead tired. <laughs> he looks like he's going to drop dead and just pass out. He's not doing well. Poor Luke. <laughs> and it turns out that it was this whole plan and Oliver had like a pretty woman date set up. And it was so cute. He was like dressed up and meets him at the door and gives him like a candy necklace to wear and (laughs) (laughs) they watch pretty woman in the in bed and it's really sweet and then it's bridget's wedding it turns out that her wedding dress was forgotten and it's two hours away (laughs) luke sends oliver to go try to pick up the dress i thought it was an hour away but it's a two hour round trip two plus hour it was going to take two hours to get the dress that's what i meant and then the wedding would be have would have to be late, and of course we can't have a late wedding. It's not like people can just wait and eat food and chill. <laughs> no. Why would they do that, Em? Because there's a lot of food. It's a pretty garden. They're fine. <laughs> it, it must happen on the timeline. Fine. <laughs> to each his own. Judy comes through. She has a whole bunch of wedding dresses at her estate. Because Judy's been married just a few times. (laughs) Bridget ends up finding a dress that she can wear. It turns out fine. Oliver comes back during the ceremony. And so Bridget's able to change into her actual dress for the reception. And it's lovely. It's a very lovely wedding. It's very happy. Back at work, Luke gets an invitation from Alex to Alex's wedding. Because apparently he and Miffy are getting married finally after two years. Alex invites the whole office and Luke is just like, yay. Now it is time for Luke and Oliver to attend Miles's extremely gay wedding. It is the gayest gay wedding the ever gayed. And I mean that in a good way. It's like got rainbows and people in drag fancy lights and glitter and it's in like a subway tunnel or something it's just very um flashy like a flamboyant sort of yeah wedding i guess they're celebrating themselves and each other and yeah it introduces one of the major themes in the book because luke fucking loves it in spite of himself this is his people You know, that's how he feels. He feels very connected to this. He misses this sort of thing. He used to do this with Miles all the time, this sort of event. And Oliver isn't like that. Oliver is a lot more reserved. Luke is kind of 
talking to Oliver about it, like, oh, isn't this wonderful? And Oliver's just like, um, yeah, no, I don't really like this. And I don't really like those people that are getting married. And honestly, I'm just here for you, honey. Yeah. I mean, what did Luke expect? But yeah. <laughs> I know. Luke isn't trying to be judgy, but I think he's also trying to... I, th- I think he misses connecting in that way, and he's trying to connect in that way with Oliver, and Oliver just won't, because that's not him. Yeah, and I wonder if on some level Luke is worried that Oliver won't accept that part of him. It could because be. Because that, that was something about the first book, is that there is a right and a wrong way of being gay. Right, and this brings it right back up again. Is there a right way to be gay? Because... We have the very flamboyant, rainbow-centric, loud and proud gay community that Luke really connects with. And then we have the way Oliver is, where he is also proud about being gay. He participates in activism and whatnot. And he really does care about that kind of stuff. But he just isn't into the the show aspect of it. You know, like the performative yeah is is that am i overstepping i'm picturing like gay pride i don't think oliver would dress up for gay no pride. i i don't envision that for that character but luke would probably and and they mentioned this in the book is the rainbow like for luke the rainbow means a lot yeah and for oliver he feels it's just commercial yeah, for him it doesn't represent the same things he doesn't see that symbol and connect it with himself and Luke kind of brings up, is that because you have internalized homophobia? Is that because, and of course, Oliver's like, wait, what? <laughs> and then that becomes a whole thing. Yeah. And then, of course, he has to, he has to examine his whole outlook, re-examine yes, all his which beliefs. is, I think, one of the reasons that Luke and Oliver <laughs> work is because Oliver wants to have himself challenged to do those hard things of, of looking inward and whatnot. And Oliver wants to be true to himself. And he says later in the book that one of the truest things he's ever done is be in the relationship Mm -hmm. with Luke. He greatly values Luke's perspective and input. I think he takes it seriously. But he also is willing to say, you know what, I did think about it. I considered it. I thought about it from your perspective, too. And ultimately, it's just not for me. And you're going to have to be okay with that if you want to be with me. Please want to be with me. Oh my God, don't leave. <laughs> There's a really good quote from Oliver during this conversation when this theme gets introduced where he says, it's like this whole event is telling me I'm doing my identity wrong if I'm not draping myself in rainbows at every opportunity. Ironically, it makes me feel judged. Whereas Luke, on the other hand, feels connected. Mm-hmm. And this is where we also get introduced to, uh uh-oh, is there trouble in paradise? Maybe this difference isn't going to make for a lasting happy relationship. Yes. During the wedding, Luke reconnects with some of his old friends and acquaintances. He comes to the realization that the whole Miles debacle affected more people than just him. Luke was kind of very insulated, insulated. insular Hmm, insulated yeah i think he was insulated and isolated partly by his own choosing which makes sense given the circumstances because his world exploded (laughs) yeah 
But he also realizes that when they broke up, when he broke up with Miles, he got all the good friends for the most part. <laughs> Which I think is weird to in say. In the breakup. Yeah. I will say this. I did think it was weird that the one friend stuck by Miles. Yeah. And she even says, well, I stuck by him because no one else did. Yeah, because he was a shit. That's why they didn't yeah. stand by him. Yeah, she even says, well, I was friends with him before. I'm like, uh-huh. So I was trying to understand because I'm thinking like, okay, I cannot imagine staying with a friend of mine who did that to someone. No. I was like, okay, of, of my good friends that thick and thin, all that. And I'm sitting there and thinking, they wouldn't do that, though. <laughs> like, I cannot imagine any of you guys going, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I got all this material. And then I went to the tabloids or whatever. <laughs> well, I needed 50 grand. I, I can't. I cannot envision it. So it's not a question of like, oh, would I still be their friend? I'm like, but they they wouldn't do that. Though. Like, they legit wouldn't do that. I can't. I can't picture that. And if they did, I don't know if I would still, the person they would do that to, what they would have to have done to make that even remotely okay, would be so bad. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's so hard. Is it ever okay? I kind of wonder, you know? I don't know. Maybe. I, I can envision a really extreme scenario to where <laughs> I would be like, okay. <laughs> I could still stand by with her through that. Okay. But yeah, I can't. I mean, good for them, I guess. Everybody thinks of things differently. So maybe they, for them, it was worth it. But they kept throwing around. I say they because I can't remember which characters. Kept saying, well, you know, things just weren't one-sided. Trying to imply that Luke did bad things to make what Miles did okay. Yeah, no. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> well, what was it then? You don't just throw that around and then go, well, you did bad stuff. Well, what was it? What was the thing that was so bad that was okay <laughs> that he then took information and sold it for 50,000 50, pounds? What What was it? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not hearing anything. <laughs> yeah, I was, was and am prepared for like some sort of horrible shoe to drop. In future story, if that is a thing. Because I don't trust the dude. I don't know that there's anything he could have done. I mean, maybe. But it's hard for me to think of anything he could have done to make it justifiable. What Miles did. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, what, what was it? Did Luke cheat? And even then, I don't feel like that's justified. But was that what Miles said? Did Miles say something to the friend? Paint a particular kind of picture i don't know it seemed to me that the friend just felt bad for miles oh like they felt they felt bad <laughs> clearly for i don't because luke's friends ganged up on miles on luke's behalf and miles had no one in his corner yeah because they just shit. yeah i mean <laughs> that's the thing i get stuck on that too <laughs> yeah they abandoned him because he was, he had some very bad behavior. Yeah, the, I mean. But the friend's justification for sticking by Miles was, was basically that. That, yeah, what he did sucked, but he needed a friend and I was willing to be that friend. 
Well, good for you. <laughs> Which, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Finally, Luke and Oliver decide they can bail. Oliver says, well, we can't leave without congratulating the happy couple. And he mm. forces Luke to go talk to Miles. Miles acts like they're friends. Oh, I'm so glad that you were able to come to my wedding. And oh, this is so wonderful. And Luke is just like, yeah, I don't think so. And he says... Quote, you and Jojo seem like you'll be great together, but we are never going to be friends because you will always be the guy who sold me out for the price of a Toyota Supra. <laughs> and then he kisses Miles on the cheek and fucks off. And I was so proud of me him. Too. <laughs> I was like, go you, man. You did a good job. You confronted you your demon. Maybe it wasn't the best time and place to do it, but... When else were you going to do it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's never going to see that dude again. Plus, the dude got handsy when they first reconnected. Yeah, and it's Miles' fault that he's even at the wedding. Exactly. <laughs> well, not really. Sort of. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, he invited him. He would never have been invited. Well, yeah, but that's because JoJo wanted him to. Yes, but Miles, Miles is the one who issued the invitation. Yes. Yeah, I just don't trust the dude. He could have told JoJo no. Yeah. Well, no, because he's an asshole. Yeah, and I saw nothing of the Miles character's change that made me think that he's not, that he's improved at all. No. After the wedding, two days go by, and then Jojo shows up at Luke's work and wants to talk to Luke. And they end up having a big old conversation. Jojo tells Luke that, no, I actually wanted you to come for me because I wanted to see how you were. He was really troubled after learning what happened to Luke, what Miles did. Mm-hmm. And be. the thing with Jojo is Jojo's really famous. He's a YouTube star. Yeah, he's famous in his own right. <laughs> yeah. And so there's the potential for Miles to really try to screw him over as well. I think Jojo was looking for like some peace of mind. Mm-hmm. He tells Luke that he showed him that if the worst happens, that he'll still be fine because he can tell Luke is fine. And so he's all, well, you came out the other side and you're okay. So I trust Miles, but not 100%, I guess. Did it strike you that JoJo has a pretty fatalistic attitude? JoJo seemed kind of cynical to me. <laughs> not gonna lie. Um, but he's super famous and he's been doing like youtube for a million years so he probably has a really thick skin and just thinks about contingency planning maybe yeah i don't know it just seemed strange to me and sad luke is kind of weirded out by this whole visit but okay thanks jojo bye <laughs> he really doesn't have any problems with jojo he likes him fine he's kind of worried about him i think even yeah you and me both <laughs> i am like, i mean that kid seemed i hope for your sake trouble. miles changed <laughs> i'm waiting for the chew to drop well it seems so predatory too because jojo's like in his early 20s and miles is in his early 30s and yeah there's about a 10 year he has a history of screwing over boyfriends yeah, especially since miles seems to have a a 
type, which is either fame or fame adjacent. Yeah. And it just... I'm a little worried for Jojo. (laughs) Hopefully he'll be fine. Poor guy. I don't... Like I said, I don't trust Miles. I saw no difference. I saw nothing that suggested he changed. So hopefully they keep separate bank accounts. Yeah. So later... Luke is at Oliver's house. Oliver is cleaning. Luke has kind of accidentally admitted to stealth moving in. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) He's been slowly leaving more and more things at Oliver's house and just kind of (laughs) staying there a lot. And, you know, he still has his own flat and everything, but he doesn't really use it. Oliver says, well, maybe he should officially move in. And then Luke kind of freaks out and proposes. (laughs) uh luke fucking <laughs> luke it's super not thought out at all i don't know about you but i cringed i physically cringed yeah it was <laughs> yeah i was like oh no don't do this what are you doing <laughs> and of course oliver says yes because what else is he gonna say yes. right it's lovely <laughs> i guess no um <laughs> Luke has been kind of off and on thinking about the fact that all his friends and everyone he knows is getting married or having kids or both and he and Oliver are just dating and so I'm sure some of that just kind of creeped up on him and he just like word vomited out a proposal. (laughs) It was super romantic. No. He does do something really cute, though, because he goes out ring shopping for Oliver and buys him an engagement ring. Yes. And I really like the scene where he gives it to Oliver and it's just super sweet. And you could tell Oliver really loves it. And it's just really adorable. Oliver loves anyone who pays him attention because he feels inherently unworthy of it. Okay, cynical. (laughs) It was just really cute. It was cute. I'm not saying it's not cute. (laughs) Oliver has told his parents that they're engaged and they're not taking it well. Oliver's parents are assholes. (laughs) Yes. They really suck. Yes, they do. Oliver is the oldest of two boys. He's under the impression that his younger brother is the golden child and he's the scapegoat of the family. He has lived his whole life basically never being good enough for his dad and his mom has never stood up for him and they're both really homophobic but pretend like they aren't and it's just really uncomfortable and horrible and in the last book luke told them to fuck off yes and we cheered him on i was like wow i can't believe he actually said it we did amazing (laughs) i know (laughs) so oliver has told them that he's getting married to luke obviously they are not fans of luke no and they're not taking this whole engagement well if you have to be gay and marry someone who's a boy can you marry a nice boy instead of luke (laughs) (laughs) or maybe uh excuse the language people like you don't need to be married (laughs) uh yeah it's pretty gross and horrible and it makes oliver feel like shit Mm. And then Oliver says, well, did you tell your mom? I'm sure she's taking it better. (laughs) And Luke did not tell his mom, but he lies and says, oh, yeah, I I told her and she's so excited. (laughs) 
Oliver's like, oh, good. Well, we're visiting her this weekend, so that'll be great. (laughs) And they have this super awkward fun visit where (laughs) when Luke (laughs) gets... When Luke's mom opens the door, (laughs) Luke gives her a hug and, like, frantically whispers in her ear, like, Oliver and I aren't engaged, and you already know, because I told you before. (laughs) (laughs) And his mom (laughs) just plays along with it. And she's just like, oh, yes, it's it's my... (laughs) new son-in-law to be because of course Luke told me you guys are engaged (laughs) and her friend her friend Judy is there and she's like oh Judy Luke and his fiance Oliver are here because of course he told us that they are engaged remember I can't tell if his mom is brilliant or an idiot (laughs) like does she not realize that she doesn't pull it off or is she deliberately doing this as like a, I am punishing you, child, for putting me in this position? Yes! Yes, that one. <laughs> She's fucking with Luke. That's what that is. I love her so much. <laughs> oh, she's a spirit animal I wish I had. <laughs> I know. And Oliver's like... You didn't tell her, did you? And Luke's like, um, sorry. <laughs> but that, that that ends up not being a thing, really. No. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> I mean, the torturing of Oliver is, but or, sorry, torturing of Luke is, but, you know, that's just for funsies. I mean, he yeah. deserved it. <laughs> oh, that was a hilarious scene. That was one of many hilarious scenes <laughs> yes. in this book. <laughs> Luke's mom is the best. I really I love her. I love that woman. I know she's not real, but my god, she's amazing. Yeah, she's a really good mom character. Now it's time for Alex's wedding. Since Alex invited all the people working at the office, they decide they're going to rent a van and road trip the four hours to the estate where Alex is getting married. And it's super awkward because everyone in the van... Kind of doesn't know each other all that great. There is this really good speech, though. Reese brings his current girlfriend, Anna, with one N. Anna used to be a school teacher, and now she's a OnlyFans model. One of the other people in the van says something like, well, don't you find that degrading? And Anna goes off on this huge (laughs) diatribe of, yes, it's super degrading that I get paid more as an OnlyFans model than as a teacher. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm They're in the middle of nowhere and they have spotty GPS signal and they think they're at the right place. It's supposed to be Reese's friend's house that they're staying at and Reese gets the key out from under the mat and they get all settled. Everything's fine except that, wait, actually no, it's a complete stranger's house and now they're arrested. (laughs) Oops. And they're all sitting in jail and (laughs) it's the morning before the wedding and it's super late. Alex comes to the rescue with his social influence and whatnot and gets them all off the hook and lets them stay at his house. So it turns out fine, but it it was another really funny scene. Alex's wedding is super traditional and heteronormative. It essentially serves as a foil to the Miles Jojo wedding. And so it brings up again this dichotomy between Luke's 
point of view and Oliver's point of view, which type of wedding is better? Is there a right way to be gay? Is there a right way to get married if you're gay? All that kind of stuff. Luke and Oliver are discussing this in light of their being engaged now, and they have different ideas about what their wedding should be like. And Oliver is kind of troubled because Luke doesn't out and out say this, but kind of implies that maybe he has internalized homophobia due to his upbringing. And so Oliver has to go storm off and think. And then Luke has like a mental breakdown because, oh no, did I mess everything up? And so he has to go find Oliver and they make up and it's totally fine. Oliver's like, no, it's not you. I'm just thinking I needed to be alone to think. And it turns out fine again. Everything's fine. Although it's obvious that they're not having this conversation to its conclusion because of their separate issues. I think if they were able to have a conversation where one of them isn't spiraling out of control about maybe or maybe not messing up the relationship and the other one isn't spiraling out of control out of maybe not being worthy of the relationship, then maybe they'd be able to finish the conversation and reach some actual conclusions on how they actually feel about this sort of thing and what kind of wedding they actually want and how they feel about how they want to enact their identities. And what those things mean to them. Yeah, and it's just never discussed in a way that they're able to get to the meat of the issue because they keep hitting like a speed bump and veering off the track. Yeah, it's not even just like, do you want a wedding and do you want a marriage? But what do those things actually mean to them? Yeah, there's the argument that keeps coming up where... Luke wanted a rainbow balloon arch and Oliver says it's very tacky and he doesn't want that at, at a wedding of his. And Luke is like, but that's the reason I like it because it's tacky. They can't have like a conversation about it without getting too caught up in their own issues where they can actually communicate fully about what they're, what they actually mean, like what the balloon arch represents mm-hmm. to Luke and what it represents to Oliver. And why Oliver thinks it's tacky and why Luke loves that it's tacky. It's just a whole thing. Tacky and commercialized, because that was Oliver's other thing. And, and of course, Oliver seems way more comfortable at the more traditional heteronormative wedding than he did at the Miles Jojo wedding. And Luke points that out. And Oliver's like, well, yeah, because we like these people and we didn't like the other people. Luke's like, but... The other one was fabulous, and this one is drab and and awful. Like, <laughs> well, and not only that, but the Alex Miffy wedding was—I don't know—that word traditional, you know, espoused ideals that Luke is worried Oliver shares. Like, who gets to marry? <laughs> and, and and to be fair, Oliver's position does seem kind of hard to grasp, at least at least from my perspective, outsider's perspective. But I thought gay people getting married was good. Like I thought that was like something everybody wanted, but not necessarily (laughs) because the institution of marriage has a lot of baggage too. I mean, it has a lot of baggage for hetero people too. Yeah, it does. So I think increasingly younger generations are less likely to see that as the end-all be-all of their relationship. 
simply due to the associated baggage that gets bundled into it, maybe. Like, again, the, the religious aspects, or you can go with routes that aren't religious at all. That's what I mean. Like, they need to have that conversation of what it means to them. Wedding versus marriage and or both. Yes, they really do. <laughs> and they really haven't had a lot of those conversations, or it doesn't seem like they have had a lot of those conversations where you're in a committed relationship with someone and you're talking about the future. Like, what is our living situation going to look like in 10 years? Do we want children? What would happen if one of us got sick and died young? What is our value system on XYZ? Oliver should, I think, be bringing these up because Luke is not a long-term thinker. <laughs> one of them should be. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said Oliver. Because as soon as marriage was, was mentioned, he's like, oh, this is good for taxes. This is good for... He's thinking long-term. He should be the one doing this, but I don't think he does because I think he's worried it'll upset Luke or freak him out. Yeah, I think he's afraid of ultimately not being good enough for Luke. Yeah, or scaring him off with with big scary topics. I mean, maybe, but to me, it feels more like he's just worried that if he's ultimately incompatible with Luke, then he'll lose him forever and he'll never be good enough for Luke. Maybe. And any incompatibilities that they have are, of course, his fault, not mm -hmm. Luke's. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Oliver is in therapy, but Luke isn't. At least not that we know. <laughs> Right. Oliver's been in therapy for almost two years. Mm -hmm. Which, good for him. Yeah, well, I mean, Oliver wants to work on himself. Luke, a little less so. Luke has worked on himself a lot, but, but I agree, he could do with some therapy as well. <laughs> I think, though, that this book is kind of, even though it's from Luke's perspective, it's an Oliver book. Mm -hmm. Whereas the first book was definitely more of a Luke book. Luke had his journey and Oliver helped him. Yes. This is kind of a journey for Oliver. Yeah, I would agree. Which is weird to have an Oliver journey book, but Luke is the protagonist. Yeah, it was it was kind of an interesting choice, <laughs> I think. I didn't mind it, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess because I was just already used to it because of the other book. But yeah. Yeah. So anyway, obviously they make up and everything's fine and they sweep any issues that they might have under the rug again a couple days later i'm not sure they have this planned dinner out with oliver's parents where luke will be playing nice and <laughs> maybe even apologizing for telling them to fuck off the last time they saw each other yeah they've had like i think minimal contact but of course it's <laughs> never really been great because the whole fucking off thing <laughs> it tends to make people awkward Luke is on his best behavior at this dinner, I have to say. He's trying really fucking hard to just, like, keep his mouth shut, <laughs> participate in the conversation, but not be, oh, not instigate anything. <laughs> but, of course, Oliver's parents are shitty, and they continue to be shitty. Mm -hmm. The dad starts being extra shitty, and then Oliver ends up telling his dad to fuck off. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was amazing. Me too. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, there you go. 18 months of therapy. <laughs> to good use. Good job, Oliver. And so they leave and Luke is just like, oh, wow, you're amazing and hot. I love this new <laughs> Oliver. And then shortly thereafter, like a week goes by, Oliver hasn't talked to his parents at all. 
And then he gets a call from his mom and finds out that his dad has died of a heart attack. Oops. And this is just devastating because the last words that he said (laughs) to his father was to fuck off. (laughs) And he has very complicated feelings about his dad because he wanted to live. I mean, he spent so much of his life trying to live up to what his dad wanted and never fully succeeding and never got to have like a conversation with his dad as an adult from an adult perspective and be treated like an equal. Mm-hmm. He never got to have that conversation where he got to tell his dad, you know what, what you did hurt me and confront him or get any closure on any of that. If it was even possible, we don't know. And he'll never know now because his dad is dead. <laughs> yep. Oliver shuts down and he goes off to handle all this death stuff by himself. He doesn't want Luke to come with him to the mom's house to handle anything. And Luke is like, okay, well, I'm here for you back at home. (laughs) Luke is freaking out because he is trying so hard to understand Oliver's perspective. And he loves Oliver and he wants to be there for him and support him. And he, I think, is feeling kind of shut out and he's thinking it's just because Oliver's dealing with a lot of really big feelings and not sure how to handle it but he's worried that it could be that Oliver doesn't want him anymore Uh oh, because you know at the root of it he is still not super confident in himself Oliver has been gone for about a week with minimal contact they call each other and whatnot but it's not like they usually contact each other or talk to each other. And Oliver's obviously busy. Luke calls in the friend group for support. And of course, you know, there they all are <laughs> with ice cream and chocolate. And, oh, I'm sure it's fine. But if it's not, we will be here for you. And I mean, it's sweet, but it's, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> he needs a lot. <laughs> that, that's true. I mean, it's very, uh very appropriate for Lucas. Oliver comes home in the middle of this support session and he just looks like he's the walking dead. And so Luke's friends quietly leave and Luke is there for Oliver and he does such a good job. I thought Oliver is obviously just so overwhelmed with all the bullshit because of course his mom is still an asshole and now she's a grieving asshole. Yep. And Oliver has all these complicated feelings about his dad dying anyways. And then his brother is conveniently not available to help plan any funeral stuff. So it all falls on Oliver's shoulders because, of course, his mom couldn't possibly do anything. It's just a big old deal and he feels... Ah! (laughs) And Luke is so sweet and he tucks him into bed and they're cuddling and... Oliver is trying to vent, but then he's hating himself for saying bad things. And then Luke says, well, let's pretend that this is a special secret hate room and anything that happens (laughs) in this room doesn't affect anyone. And (laughs) I liked that. Yeah, it was a really good way to get Oliver to speak up and say how he felt. And then when he started being judgmental toward himself, Luke was like, no, no, one of the rules of the hate room is that we can't be mean to Oliver. <laughs> yes, no hating Oliver in the hate room. <laughs> was so, it was so yes. sweet. Agreed. Oliver kind of opens up to Luke and is like, well, will you help me plan a funeral? And of course he will, obviously. So now it's time for 
Oliver's dad's funeral. Oliver has been working on this eulogy and planning and struggling with it because he doesn't really want to give the eulogy because he doesn't want to stand up in front of all these people and act like his dad was a great person because his dad wasn't a great person. Nope. (laughs) He doesn't want to act like he had a wonderful relationship with his dad because he didn't really. Luke is like, well, you know, you could just not do the eulogy. You could just not do it. And Oliver's like, no, I have to do it. But when it comes time for him to finally stand up in front of everybody, (laughs) so it's so British, I have to say, (laughs) because he's just, my father was a complicated man. And then he just starts going off on his dad. It was so good. It was was very good. And and the whole, like, everyone in the audience is, like, shocked, but they're too polite to say anything. (laughs) And it's just so good. It was great. (laughs) And then, <laughs> it's amazing. And then after the eulogy, after the eulogy, Luke and Oliver are walking outside and Oliver, of course, has having all the regrets now. <laughs> and Luke says, it was really brave of you. I mean, there was me thinking the options were eulogy or no eulogy. But dark horse that you are, you went through the door marked extemporaneous monologue about fatherhood and loss. <laughs> and he's just... <laughs> cheering him on you know and oliver's like oh you can't cheer me up i feel like shit (laughs) and then christopher oliver's brother shows up and starts confronting oliver and they start getting into this whole argument that boils down to who had it worse growing up christopher's perspective is like the opposite of oliver's perspective and it comes to light that the parents have obviously been playing the sons against each other this whole time yes mia i think is the one that points that out yeah, Christopher's wife. And it's just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of thought that's what was going on, but as soon as she pointed it out, I'm like, yep, those fuckers. Uh-huh. Oh, those assholes. Yep. And after all this, Oliver is now feeling especially unworthy of Luke. You know, if you want to dump me now, it's fine. <laughs> I realize I'm a really horrible, messy person, and I can't believe that you're even with me right now. <laughs> And Luke says, it's not your job to make being with you convenient for me. It's just like it's not my job to make being with me convenient for you, which is good because if it was my job, I'd have been fucking fired ages ago. (laughs) And then they go to the wake, which is like the reception for the funeral. And we get a revelation from Uncle John, who was a total butthead in the prior book. Uncle John is the younger brother of... Oliver's father and he comes over and tells Oliver that he did a really good job with the eulogy and (laughs) was right and that Oliver's dad did have it coming. He also kind of sort of maybe comes out as gay even though he doesn't say it. Yeah they almost I think that he almost or someone almost says the word and like the uncle's like no. Yeah but it's like this really awkward yet sort of almost heartwarming scene in a way like oh i understand you now when i didn't before so more time has passed it's now after christmas and the wedding planning for the luke slash oliver wedding is in full swing and they've been bickering and or arguing about a lot of the plans they just can't agree on many many things about the wedding and it's an issue And of course, Luke is like constantly worrying about, oh my God, he's going to leave me. I'm horrible. 
you know, he's being Luke. He ends up storming out at one point during an argument and goes over to his mom's and he has a conversation with his mom where his mom's like, well, maybe you aren't the type of people that are good at being married. Maybe this isn't the right choice for you guys. And Luke's like, ah! (laughs) How dare. (laughs) And he goes and hides in his childhood bedroom and looks at his Cary Grant posters and thinks about marrying Oliver. And he essentially at this point feels stuck, I think, because he loves Oliver. He wants to be with him forever. And isn't that why people get married? Like, isn't that the point of it? Mm. And of course, they make up and compromise on stuff. And it's fine. Obviously, it's just one of those things. Luke has asked his friend Priya to be his best man. He was going to ask Bridget, but he feels like Priya is more best man material. Plus available. (laughs) Priya arranges a very artsy, gay bachelor party, aka stag party, aka non-gender conforming animal party. Yep. At a really arty, gay gallery. And it's awesome. It's exactly what Luke likes. He loves it. He has a great time. He's in his element. He's hanging out with his friends. And then he ends up meeting this guy named Tyler, who initially hits on him. But Luke's like, actually, no, I'm the engaged person (laughs) at this party. I'm off the market. And Tyler's like, oh, damn. Well, let's just hang out and have fun anyway. And they do. And it's great. It's a a good night. But Luke stays out too late and gets drunk and kind of comes home shit-faced. As you do. And then the next day is a very special last pre-married date that Luke and Oliver are going to have. And it's very special because it's at the same place as their first date. When they meet up, Oliver tells him that he's seen photos of the party and shows him. And Luke's like, yeah, no, I wasn't cheating on you. I promise. And Oliver's like, no, that's not my problem. I'm worried that you look really happy here and I'm worried I can't give you that kind of happy. And maybe you should just dump me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, buddy. Maybe all this stuff we've been talking about just means that we're fundamentally incompatible and it's just awful. And, you know, you were going through it in the last book when we got together, but now you're doing better and maybe you need someone different. You know, someone better than me. And Luke is like, what the fuck? (laughs) No, I don't. I need you. You are Mr. Perfect. I love you. There's a really sweet moment because uh, Luke suggests that they order the same dessert that they did last time on their first date. And Oliver has since gone vegan. And he's like, oh, that dessert has cream in it. And Luke goes, no, I asked them to make a vegan one. And it was really sweet. (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) So everything's good, right? Right? Santa? Right? (laughs) (laughs) It's the night before the wedding, and Luke is now violently ill because he's realized he does not want to get married. He doesn't want to break up with Oliver, but he doesn't want to be married. He's realized this is the bad, wrong choice. Why did he do this? Because he panicked and he asked a question. He calls Bridget at 3 a.m. And like the wonderful friend that she is, she drags herself out of bed and they meet on a bridge. Have this whole conversation about what Luke's choices are moving forward, which are essentially, maybe this is a dream. And if we try really hard, we could wake up (laughs) and you could go through with it or 
leave him at the altar. Those are your choices. (laughs) And unfortunately, Luke can't wake up from this dream because it's not a dream. It's real life. (laughs) He decides that, well, I want to be with Oliver. He's probably not going to want to be with me if I leave him at the altar. So I'm going to go through with it. Now it's the day of the wedding and it's right before and they're getting ready. And Oliver comes into the room where Luke is because he needs to talk. And he sits down and he starts crying. (laughs) Always a good sign. And Luke is like, oh no, what's happening? (laughs) Ah! Did I break you? No! Tell me what to do and I will fix it. I I promise I will be perfect for you. I swear. Oliver doesn't want to get married either. He's done a lot of soul searching over the course of this book a lot of introspection, and he says, quote, I know that, technically speaking, marriage is not an inherently straight institution. The thing is, it feels that way to me. It always has, and I'm not sure how to make it not, and I don't think I want to. I still want to be with you. I want to be with you desperately. I want to be with you more than I've ever wanted anything. I just don't want it to be within a framework of the social paradigm of marriage. And Luke accepts Oliver's not proposal. And he's like, yes, I won't marry you. (laughs) He's like, you're a mess. And Oliver says, oh, a complete one. But I'm your mess and always will be if you still want me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's fine, guys. It's okay. They go out to the group waiting for them to get married. And they thank everyone for coming and tell them to enjoy the party. And then they run off down the aisle holding hands out into the street, into a London storm, and are just happy together in the rain where people are using umbrellas of every color, and it's very poetic and romantic. The end. Woo-woo. How was the audiobook? The audiobook was done by Joe Jameson. He did Boyfriend Material as well. All the high praise. He was amazing. Consistent in performance from book to book, which I thought was pretty impressive. So definitely skilled narrator. Nice. Yay. And I loved all the accents because I'm a simpleton American. (laughs) And I'm easy to please, apparently. (laughs) I'll own it. (laughs) Hey, why not? Are you happy for them? I am happy for them. I'm glad they finally had the talk. I don't feel like the talk is complete, but I feel like they started to have the talk. Thank goodness. What about you? Oh, I'm happy for them. I agree with you about the talk. I think this is a very um, awkward British humor. Oh, no, we couldn't possibly air our feelings out. That would just be too agonizing. (laughs) Let's just pretend everything's fine. Because that's not agonizing at all. (laughs) It's agonizing (laughs) in a different way, but it's Mm. better. You say so. (laughs) But that was part of the comedy of the book, which I greatly appreciated. And I think that ultimately they are still perfect for each other and they're just so wonderful together and i love their chemistry and i love how they love each other and they're so sweet yeah they keep saying we don't work i'm like you do though you literally did all the wedding stuff the things that you say that you can't do you did do not see that (laughs) and all the sweet stuff that luke has done for oliver in this book was just so amazing and oliver really deserved it and He did such a good job, so kudos to Luke. You really improved, buddy. Yes, growth. It happens. So let's rate them. Okay. (laughs) How did you rate Luke? I rated Luke as awesome. 
I like that he grew, but he's still Luke. So he did some of the things that I was like, err, but, you know, it was okay. Because he wasn't as bad this time. Less self-flagellating. And the running away thing. <laughs> yes, less running I away. I like you. You're how old? Okay. <laughs> Especially that, was it towards the end when he runs away and then Oliver is calling and texting him? I'm like, can you please just say that you're not dead? That's just what he wants to know. That's literally what he said in the text like, message. That's all you had to do is type back six <laughs> words, six letters, not dead. Or seven, because I can count. American education. <laughs> <laughs> the finest. Yeah, the bestest. So yeah, I mean, Luke is awesome. I, I enjoyed him more in this book than actually in the first book. Because the first book, all the self-loathing. There was so much of it. It was really difficult. But in this book, it's a lot easier. What about you? I rate Luke awesome as well. I agree. He had a lot of growth from the first book into this book. He is still self-loathing, but it's kind of the light yes. version. It's almost like he is reminding himself, no, no, no. Actually, no, you're fine, Luke. This isn't you anymore, remember? Yes. <laughs> you are now a functional adult, remember? <laughs> And there are things that he does that proves it, too. There was a scene that I didn't bring up where Luke's dad learns that he's getting oh, married right. and wants to know if he needs to come to the wedding. And Luke is like, no, fuck off. I don't need yep. you. <laughs> You're obviously horrible for me, and I don't want you in my life. I mean, when he called his dad, he was like, this is probably going to amount to nothing, but I'm going to do everything possible for my best friend. That's why. It wasn't because yes. he was hoping his dad actually would come through. He was on an off chance, but not because it would prove his dad's love or anything like that. It was, no, no, this is for a person I love. My best friend. Yeah, he's all, I have this connection that maybe I could use. I'll see if I can exactly. use it. He was very, very funny in this book, and he was very cute. I liked all the sweet things yes. he did for Oliver, and I liked the side bits that I left out because you just have to read the book to enjoy them. Like the email <laughs> conversation he has with one of his co-workers <laughs> over whether or not you could use the printer. I love it. All the jokes that he tells Alex and Alex doesn't understand. And then the thing with the co-worker where it's like, but we hate each other. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't hate you. You hate me? He's like, wait. But that, that's our thing, is we hate each Oh, shit. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, I loved it. <laughs> so we, you get all sorts of, of the funny from him. And, of course, you get the self-deprecating, because, of course you do. He's British. You have to yes. have the self-deprecating. An important facet. How did you rate Oliver? Oliver is awesome, of course. He just is. He works so hard. What a sweet little bean. He tries and he's growing and changing. And I do hope that there's another book so we can continue with his growth journey and both of their journeys. I still feel like there's more for them to do. I saw on Goodreads that there is going to be another book where they maybe have a kid. I was wondering because I was just thinking boyfriend, husband, father? Question mark? Uh-huh. 
Okay. Father material. I'm here for it. <laughs> Yay. That's exciting. What about you? <laughs> I knew you were a fan of the Oliver. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Oliver is fucking amazing. I love him. <laughs> he is the best and we must protect him at all costs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I kind of wish I was a gay boy so I could be with Oliver. Okay, he's fictional. Even if you're... <laughs> I hate to break it to you. <laughs> There's still going to be some boundary issues. Some obstacles to overcome. His lack of being real, one of them. <laughs> Let me have my dreams. Okay, fine. <laughs> Dream away, dear. Dream away. No, he is just so wonderful. He's so perfect for Luke. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit more into his issues in this book. Yeah. And it's just so, so good because he's obviously working very hard and trying and learning and growing. And he wants so much to be worthy of Luke. I'm not sure if he's realized that he doesn't have to try to be worthy of Luke because Luke loves him anyway, but I think he's getting to that point. I hope so. Because Luke loves him no matter what. Yes. Yeah, they definitely, I mean, they have complementary issues. And I think that's something that in this book is more apparent. Because I liked that about the first book where it's just Oliver's so perfect, but nobody ever took the time to figure out why he's a mess. Because <laughs> everybody's a mess. You know, with Luke, he's just like, here is my mess. Like, you just, it's all out there. Yes. But with Oliver, he hides his mess. Deliberately and not. Yeah, he's like, mess? What mess? And in some cases, mess he doesn't know is there. But Luke goes, hey, I recognize mess. I know what that is. I'm intimately <laughs> aware of of what that is. <laughs> look at your mess Oliver <laughs> look at it right there <laughs> look I see it no, no you don't no you don't Oliver's like no mess <laughs> the mess is invisible because it does not exist except that it does so what about the antagonist slash villains well, I guess we can start off with Luke's father Vader no John yes um <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it had to be a joke somewhere. I don't know if I made it before, but if not, here we go. I think he was effective for the the brief little bit he's there. I think he he did his job for Luke by not doing his job. It's like, oh, Luke only mattered again because his name came up somewhere. It's like, oh, I have to be important to my kid. Oh, wait. PR. Your kid said fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> And that'll be interesting if the other one is fatherhood related to see how all that works itself out. That'll be interesting. Yeah. And of course, Oliver's dad. Because they both have shitty dads. Yes. And of course, they wouldn't want to be shitty dads. So we'll see. No. We'll see if John wants to be a grandfather. Has he? Ew. I know. I know. It'll be interesting to see how that's handled. That's the interesting thing is like with grandkids, how people change or want to change or whatever. And so, of course, we have Oliver's dad, who I felt was very effective when he's there and when he's not there, you know, his presence. Yes. And then I put Miles, which <sighs> I feel is the least effective. 
I don't know. I needed something. I guess it's awkward because you just don't know if he's better. I mean, I assume he's not because I didn't see anything that indicated to me that he was not a shithead. And I don't think it puts him in a good light where it's like, oh, here's this person I screwed over. I haven't seen in a really long time. First thing I'm going to do is put my hands on them. I was like, how, how are the, how is his fingers not broken? I get Luke in that moment being so overwhelmed, like being aware that something is happening, but not really having the bandwidth to do anything about it. Yeah. And then the next time we really see him is the office. And that wasn't very satisfying because it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I think like with his dad, I think Luke went to that wedding expecting an apology. They know what they did was wrong. He might have. Because he's like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm looking for. I wonder if that's what that character was looking for. I was like, no, because you assume that they feel bad for what they did. They don't. Because <laughs> they've already justified <laughs> it in their own mind. They don't feel bad. You're looking for an apology you're never going to get. Yeah. Luke had to find a way to move on, and he did. But yeah, I think that's part of what he was looking for. Maybe he was also looking to reconnect with that world. Who knows? Anyway, that's my list of three. Oh, and Miles, yeah, like I, I think I already said, I didn't feel like he was that effective. Maybe because I was looking for something that would conclude to put a pin in him. <laughs> Maybe literally like a voodoo doll. Human voodoo doll. <laughs> Oops, it slipped. Anyway, what about you? I also have John Fleming, Luke's father, on the list. I think he was really effective, although he was less of an antagonist in this book. It was more, I think, he he was there to show how much Luke had grown. Yes. Because Luke really doesn't give a shit about him anymore. Yep. So we were able to see that during the moments where he popped up like a horrible pimple. But yeah, he's, he's effective. I think uh, Miles and Jojo to an extent, were antagonistic. I think Jojo was not villainous at all, but I think he was an effective antagonist mm. because it was one of those things where Luke was kind of almost comparing himself to Jojo oh, yeah, and trying to figure out, like, why Miles was with him and why hasn't Miles screwed him over but then screwed Luke over, what makes him different or better, that type of thing. Yeah. I, I think that was effective for what it was. And then uh, as far as Miles is concerned, I think, again, he really was there to show us how much Luke has grown. It's a way for us to get immediately involved in the story because Luke immediately has a problem. Is he going to go to this wedding? And if he does, what is he going to get out of it? And it turns out he gets to tell Miles to fuck off, <laughs> which is ultimately Yay. what he needed to do. I think yep. he's like, no, you don't get to rug sweep this. You don't get to make it better. I don't want you to have a horrible life, but I also don't want to be in it at all. Yep. We are not friends. Yeah, I thought that was great. It was a really good moment for Luke. It was a great win for him. And I think that was the purpose of Miles in the book. And while I agree with you, he could have been more effective as an antagonist because we didn't really understand his motivations or whatnot. I think ultimately it's because Luke is never going to understand. He's never going to understand. Yeah. Why did Miles screw him over? He's never going to know. Why does Miles think they can be friends now? 
he's never going to know. And, and neither are we. Yeah. So it's messy. But I think it's kind of realistic. I think the big baddies of this book are Oliver's parents. So we have Oliver's mom, Miriam, who we didn't talk about her a whole lot. But she is also a homophobic, horrible person. Did not do Oliver any favors <laughs> growing up or as an adult. And kind of stood by the dad and then even when the dad died, it was all about her, like, what was me? And not realizing or even seeing how Oliver may be affected by this very complicated relationship that he had with his father. And so ultimately, she's just not a really good mom. No. Like, she's a shitty mom. Yeah. She's a horrible person. And she's not a good parent figure to Oliver. I wish Oliver would just cut her off, but... I don't think he will because he ultimately wants to leave that door open for redemption. And she hasn't done enough to cause that door to get shut. Not yet. Whereas Luke is more than ready to shut a door now. Oliver is still wanting to leave the door open. We even get a conversation at one point between Luke and Oliver where Luke talks about how he told his dad he didn't want him to come to the wedding and Oliver was kind of weirded out by it. He saw it as kind of like, but maybe it'll be better this time yeah. sort of thing. And and Luke is like, yeah, no, no, it's never going to be better. It's never going to be what I want. And so I'm just going to tell him no. Fair enough. And then, of course, the biggest, baddest, most effective villain of the story is Oliver's dad, David Blackwood. He's a horrible human being, and I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> Ditto. I wish that Oliver had had a chance to have some sort of more closure adjacent moment with his dad. But ultimately, I'm glad he got to tell his dad to fuck off before he died. I, I get why he regrets that, you know, oh, those were the last words I said to him and, and all that. And I get that there's a lot of nuanced, complicated feelings that come along with that. But at the end of the day, his dad finally understood or had the opportunity to understand what Oliver was thinking because up until this point, Oliver just took it. And this was like a defining moment for him where he actually stands up to his dad. Yeah. And of course we don't get any closure from that. And again, that's messy and kind of realistic really, you know, and I appreciated how the author portrayed Oliver's response to his father's death, where he just kind of gets closed off and, tries to figure things out and he's just distant and Luke isn't sure what to do as a partner. And I felt like that was very realistic. I could find it very relatable personally. I think the dad character was just really effective because obviously this is the whole reason why Oliver has the issues that he does have. It's due to this lack of being good enough for his dad. And we learn through the Uncle John character that Oliver's grandfather, their father, was like that too. Possibly even worse. You know, there's this cycle of abuse in the family that Oliver is breaking, which is just astonishing and great for him as a character. Yeah. So how did you rate the book? I struggled to know for certain where it falls. I feel like I'll have to to listen to the book again, but I didn't have enough time. So I gave it a 4.5. Nice. It fell between things, but I don't know. But anyway, 4.5, yay. 
What about you? I also struggled. I really, really loved it. And I felt like it was a solid four for most of the book. And then I was kind of upset at the end because they didn't have as much of the conversation as I wanted them to have. (laughs) Yeah. And so I kind of wavered between like, well, is it a three? Is it a three and a half? I'm not sure. Um, So it's kind of like a 3.5, 3.75 for me. Yeah, I struggled with between making it a 4 or 4.5. That's why I was like, I need to re-experience to understand. Since now I know how it ended, I want to go to the beginning. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is definitely like, I mean, obviously I'm an outsider. I'm not, you know, in the gay community or whatever. But I, like, I try to understand, like, their perspective and it's, It's just so interesting, all the social commentary that's in this book. I really appreciate it. I think it has a lot of nuance, and I really enjoyed and appreciate all the conversations they have. And I kind of wish that we had a little bit more of that, where we actually do learn what each of them think about marriage and how it relates to their identities and whatnot, you know? I must admit, like, at the end, I felt like like you were saying, and like I said before, like, their conversation wasn't finished. Yeah. And that sort of gave the book an unfinished feeling at the end, or a lack of closure, Mm -hmm. which I'm glad that there will be another book. Hopefully that will provide it. I wouldn't necessarily call it a cliffhanger ending, but yeah, it definitely feels like dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Yeah, and it's hard to rate a, a romance like this where it's a sequel with the same characters Mm -hmm. and so you leave off the first book and they're quote unquote happily ever after well now you have the second book oh no they have problems right Mm -hmm. and we kind of talked about that in our prior episode about the first book how you know obviously they're going to have to keep talking and learning and growing together to stay together Mm -hmm. I think ultimately we thought they could do it and in this book obviously they did Mm mm-hmm but I wonder, like, I, I've, it felt almost to me like some of the problems were almost manufactured by Luke, mm-hmm. aka the author, in order for them to have some conflict in the book at all. And I wished that the conflict could have been more rooted in that major theme of which way is the right way to be gay? Is there a right way to be gay? What is marriage? What does marriage mean to each of them? I think there was opportunity for it to be more strongly concluded (laughs) at the end. Again, they did pull off a wedding. Everybody was out there. Yeah. I still feel like that was unresolved because it was like a let's do this. I I guess maybe I missed this, but like, was it to make other people happy or was it to make themselves happy? Because I loved their compromise about music. Everybody submits the music that they'd love to listen to, and that's what we'll dance to. And then it it felt like it was more of a including everyone in their event thing, which was great. And so it was a little weird to me that they ran away. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of wonder what it would have been like if they had been like, you know what, this is a not wedding instead. Exactly. And then had a not wedding party. Yes. Because it is. They made their own community of people. Sexuality, gender aside, they have their community. And it was sort of like they were running away from their community. <laughs> I don't I don't know. 
Okay. I think they were escaping from the whole idea of getting married, maybe. Well, the social convention and pressure and all of that. Yeah, but I I agree with you. I think it would have been maybe a stronger ending if they had come out and said, you know what, we're actually not getting married. This is now a not wedding. We're going to enjoy the party now. And maybe they still exchange vows even without getting married. I mean, why not? I don't know. Yeah, They wouldn't even have to do the vows or any of that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm putting my own... Obviously, I'm putting my own spin on it. But it's like they they are committed to each other. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, is marriage is a lot of different social things that come together. If they didn't want the legal aspect of it, they could just have the party and not sign the papers. You know, as far as any sort of religious or spiritual or anything like that, like that's that would be for them to decide. But presumably it's already decided because they gathered everybody there. <laughs> You would hope. I guess it could be argued that, you know, they went and, and found their happy outside in in the rain, but I don't know. I have questions. <laughs> it was a very stylistic ending, I think, because it had the whole imagery with the rainbow umbrellas and whatnot. Yes. And of course, it was meant to be romantic. They went to be one with the rainbow, the everyday rainbow. Well, did you feel romanced? Yeah, I did. It's hard not to because Oliver is amazing and they have really good chemistry together. Luke was especially cute in this one. So, of course I did. (laughs) What about you? I'm still romanced. I was romanced in the first book and the romance continued. I'm so happy. (laughs) I'm so glad. (laughs) Yay! I'm glad you're glad. Well, what else have you been reading? Well, not reading. Watching. I may be late to the party. But, you know, I'm always late, so that's fine. The show is called Dairy Girls, and it's created and written by Lisa McGee. It's about the Troubles in Northern Ireland and Derry, towards the end of the Troubles. It's a black comedy. It's really interesting storytelling. So you see, see the lives of it's about five teens and the joys in their lives. And then you see that juxtaposed with the stresses that the adults adults face. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so expertly done. The humor and the world. I don't say world building, but it's like, it's weird when you're talking about the actual world. Just <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's humor that I, I'm going to have to rewatch. I've, I've watched the series twice already. I'm going to need more. I need more time. <laughs> so, like, for example, of the funny and the the world. So you have the girls on a bus and the bus has to stop and it needs to get checked for, like, incendiary device, devices. A soldier comes on and one of the students, one of the girls makes a crack about him being attractive. It's one of those things where it's like, but the... The dude's holding a gun. Is that not weird to you? <laughs> but again, that's that's the normal of their world. She's obviously not seeing the weaponry. She's not thinking about the danger or anything. Have to unpack the humor. Anyway, that was very, very poor selling of a really, really great show. <laughs> oh, I cannot sell things well. Anyway, what about you? What have you been reading? <laughs> now that I've awkwardly... <laughs> tanked you are you are winning at the segways today (laughs) all the wins 
I recently finished a book called I'm in Love with Mothman by Paige Lavoie. It is a paranormal slash fantasy romance. It's a very cute story. The heroine is 22-year-old Heather. She grew up as the daughter of a mommy blogger. And has lived her whole life kind of in the spotlight. And now as an adult, she she's an influencer herself and has her own socials and whatnot. And she's kind of overwhelmed by it all and has decided she's burning out. And she's going to go buy a cabin in the middle of fucking nowhere and live like a hermit for a while. Sweet. With no social media whatsoever. And she does. And it's amazing until she meets Moth who is a mothman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she inadvisedly climbs a tree in a dress and hangs out there all day. And then she's like, oh, no, I can't climb down. And she's kind of stuck and can't figure out how she's going to get help. She falls and Moth rescues her, but she thinks she's being attacked. And so she tries to escape him and she does. And then later she discovers he is hurt by something else and she helps him and then they form a friendship and romance ensues. Woohoo! There's some really cute, funny little things in the story. It's very cozy, very sweet. I do have a warning that while the story I think ended, it kind of had a little mini cliffhanger at the end and there's going to be, I think, there better be another book where they have to go to Mothman's world. Oh. So there's some unfinished business at the end of the book. But as far as their romance is concerned, you know, they're together. Yay. Yeah, I really liked it. It was really a fun, happy thing to read, which I kind of needed at the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting, too, to have a heroine who was a social media influencer who had grown up as the child of a social media influencer and how it affected her. Some of the reviews on Goodreads said she was kind of annoying, but I actually found her like an interesting character. Wow, what kind of life must you have to grow up in the spotlight like that, where Mm -hmm. your personal life is broadcast from babyhood and you have an audience now that follows you and they saw you in diapers and whatnot. And it's just, ugh, it's just terrifying to me. Yeah, I I agree. That sounds kind of horrible, but to each his own. And there's some interesting um, exchanges between her and her mother as well, because her mother's not an evil person. It's just she doesn't quite comprehend Heather's issues. Hmm. It's interesting in that way, kind of like a social commentary on privacy mm. or lack thereof. <laughs> yeah, privacy definitely means something different now than it used to. That's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for our social media links, show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Or come find us on our social media. We're not there, but we could be. Um, so if you show up, we might say hi. Um, hi. <laughs> Speaking of socials, were you romanced by Luke and Oliver's story? Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss By the Book by Jasmine Guillory.
Oh my god, we have to watch Dairy Girls. You have to see it. It's so good. You do? Yes. Okay. It's short. Like, it's not like 20 episodes or whatever. It's only three seasons, and there's about six episodes per season. The last one has seven. And there's twice the length. But... So it's eight, it's 19 episodes. Yeah. Not 20. Or whatever. Well, that's what I was saying. I said it's not 20. <laughs> it's not 20, which is so many. It's only 19. <laughs> which is much fewer yes. than 20. American math. <laughs>